0: i Mick Garris, writer, producer, and director, and this is the Atomic Podcast.
1: Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast Coming to you live from Delavan, Wisconsin Where I blow up the news on a verbal scale I am your host, Ephraim Guzman My guest today, he's a legendary writer, producer, director The one, the only, Mick Garris Mick, finally man, I got you on after playing a whole bunch of phone tag How are you?
0: I'm good, and uh Hopefully, you're doing well in this uh, in this post-virus uh, world, uh, where everything feels like a Richard Matheson novel.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know that's pretty much like so far with a lot of other guests I had. That's pretty much been the subject of what's going on in the world because that's like the main topic of discussion that's going on with the coronavirus pandemic. Whatever political beliefs you believe in, um, what is your step? What what's what's your opinion about? You know, the containment and and, uh, social distancing and how are you managing with all that going on?
0: Well, uh, you know, everybody needs to do it. It's really important. Uh, Our government has not done a particularly good job at this. It's been left to the states and the individual cities and the like. And, uh, you know, I'm doing well. Uh, My wife and I are sequestered at home, but I'll take a couple of a couple of hikes a day, things like that. But doing everything virtually, just like we are doing this right Mm now. Um, And we've all got to do our share and be careful. And and not gather uh for for any purpose in in big groups.
1: Uh do you do you think the pandemic and the coronavirus brought families closer together since like a lot of people work or they have different hours and people like really don't see each other all the time because of commitments has this brought you guys cl- even closer together, you think?
0: Well, well, it certainly can. And, uh, you know, it can also bring people closer together who shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you're not uh, happy in your with your family before, you're certainly not going to be happier with them now. But hopefully, hopefully we're all doing the Rodney King thing and just learning to get along.
1: Oh, <laughs> I know that's true because a lot of situations where things like this happen, it brings people closer together, and sometimes it doesn't bring people closer together. So it's like a whole whole can of worms for society now. I think
0: it's what we've got to do. We're all in it together, and we got to keep each other safe and healthy, and and uh, you know watch some good movies, read some good books keep in touch virtually you know Skype and Zoom and and all of these things are are very important to to us and thank goodness we have this age of technology where we can still be together when we're physically apart
1: yeah and also speaking of you professionally you've been in the entertainment realm for a very long time um I know you've been <laughs> I know you've probably been asked this question dozen of times to- of times, but um how did you get involved in the um filmmaking industry?
0: Well, it really came out of writing. I had written several screenplays that never got produced. I was not in the film industry until I was in my 30s. Um, well, actually, no. In my 20s, I, I started answering phones for Star Wars um, in my true youth, and that was my first uh, movie business job, and I operated R2-D2 on the Oscars that year when Os- when Star Wars was up for so many awards. Um but I'd always loved it I'd never been an insider Nobody in my family was ever involved in it But it was through writing I'd written since seriously since I was 12 years old Writing short stories and journalism In high school and college I started my own magazine um, And uh, finally I got some representation And the first person to hire me as a screenwriter Was Steven Spielberg And from then Uh, That was when I was 33 years old, and from then I've been working ever since and very, very, very fortunate to be able to do
1: that. Um, What do you attribute your success to and your longevity?
0: Well, I think, you know, it's it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of, of being open to... Criticism, open to input from other people. A lot of creative people are extremely talented but are not very good at, at um, incorporating input from the people who are responsible for paying your checks, whether it's a network or a studio or a producer. <clears throat> I'll give you an example. When I first wrote Batteries Not Included, which was based on a story idea Steven Spielberg had for Amazing Stories, I it was my first feature assignment writing gig and uh, I turned in a 140 page script which is like 40 pages too long it was very dense it was very overwritten and I was just doing everything I could um, to do the best job that I could for the most famous producer director of all time at that time was for Steven Spielberg and we met after he read it and he said well it took me 3 sittings to get through the script mm-hmm. and that's not a good thing <laughs> so it was it was humiliating yeah. but it was also an opportunity to show that I could roll with the punches yeah. take input and be able to redo it and turn it into a screenplay that got greenlit by universal and amblin and you know turn it into something that he was really happy with so that's the sort of thing also a huge amount of it has to do with luck and timing i know a lot of talented people who've not been able to make their their living in the entertainment business and i've been lucky enough to because what i was capable of doing was the right thing at the right time and people uh, you know you want to be somebody that people want to work with i'm able to create a, a bond with actors Producers and writers and crew and things like that—that that, that's really required to be a director, um, and like I said, as a writer, to be able to take input and know a good idea when you hear one and a bad idea when you hear one and be able to take the good ones and use them, take the bad ones and turn them into good ones. So it's a matter of flexibility and being nimble and and growing with the
1: punches yeah.
0: and having really good luck and really good timing
1: true do you think now it's easier for young and -and up-and-coming filmmakers to make movies since everything everybody has like the iphone and like you know you could pretty much do a movie on your phone nowadays you think it's more convenient i guess for young aspiring filmmakers and directors easier access than it was back then
0: it's much easier to make a movie anybody can do it you don't need to hire a big crew, you can do really good, polished work with with uh, your iMac and and your iPhone. You know, Steven Soderbergh did a brilliant movie on an iPhone seven, um, and uh, you know you can do it. Making a living as a young and up and coming filmmaker that's entirely different. It's I, I I don't mean to be discouraging, but it's so much more difficult to do to be able to make a living because it's there's so much entertainment out there. I've often said the good news is that anybody can make a movie. The bad news is that anyone can make a movie. <laughs> uh, the tools have democratized cinema. Um, but the ability to make something that will allow you to pay your rent, that's something different because everybody wants their entertainment for free online these days, mm-hmm. and that's a very, very difficult thing thing to do how do you make uh money if your movie is on youtube or even somebody like magnolia or you know independent distributors they'll pick up a movie that they used to pay a million million and a half for for fifty thousand dollars if you're lucky and if your movie costs a half a million bucks then you know you've just lost four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. so you know it's it's all about whether you can do it for a living or not now that said there's a lot more platforms with hulu and amazon and netflix and uh, all of these different platforms that are dying for original material to fill it but they are also dare i say starfuckers they (laughs) they will buy movies and television series from people who are always already established Mm -hmm. and it's a bit more difficult for a newcomer to make a deal like that so it's 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 a double edged sword it's easier to make movies it's harder to make a living making
1: movies yeah nowadays um with the streaming service has become i think a little bit not better but it's like you have more established names doing um like amazon prime netflix like the al pacinos of the world you have success like with the duffer brothers of stranger things um is it more of an outlet, but it also, um, you can find like the people who are really talented as opposed to people who, who are like, kind of like hack directors, you think, or,
0: well, there's always going to be talent and there's always going to be hacks, but, um, the streaming services are true heroes. I mean, before, before they were out there and, or before Netflix was just offering movie rentals they weren't doing original programming now there's such a hunger for it that yes absolutely it's great and great filmmakers often have more opportunities because you've got all of the broadcast networks all of the cable networks and now all of these streaming networks um there is a lot more possibility um So hopefully more talented people will get opportunities because of that. And it is happening and we're getting things from... The other thing is the internationalization of movies and television. I've been watching some series from other countries on Netflix that have blown me away that I would never have had access to before. There's mm-hmm. a new series from Austria called Freud that has really impressed me. I just started watching Babylon Berlin,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is great. You know you get access to South Korean movies and TV, Japanese, um, Spanish language. Uh, you get shows from Australia and the UK that you never would have been exposed to before. And so that's that's really great.
1: Oh, that's awesome! Um, and th- that's true because um, even if you're into like horror, also you have horror from horror from different countries. If you could, if a lot of people could stand reading subtitles or whatnot, you know, it's you have really good movies like Train to Busan. That's a really good movie, and oh yeah, yeah. Train to
0: Busan is Busan, fantastic, yeah. and, and they're making a, a sequel to it right now.
1: Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of people that um, find that when they watch certain movies, they tend to to lean towards the American genre. But, you know, even J-horror and, you know, different, like, the Europeans and Spanish culture movies, like, that's the thing about Netflix and Amazon. Dude. You could find movies from... I think there's a movie called Guardians, which is, like, a Russian movie, but it's dubbed. And there's, like, a bear superhero and some weird, weird kind of thing. I'm Like, I, I, I haven't, like, really seen it, per se, but... It looks kind of interesting. So there's movies well, out there.
0: Yeah. yeah, both Netflix and Amazon have globalized. Yeah. And so they have to serve all of those audiences and the thing is they can now carry them with subtitles or dubbing or whatever uh all around the world and expose things like that you know on on my podcast i just interviewed the guy who made freud because it blew me away nobody in this country that i know had ever heard of it i just saw an icon on the home screen of netflix and went this looks interesting and i tried it out and it was great and now i want to tell everybody about it and things like that are possible now in ways that there never were before so you know we're, we're living in a very fortunate era you know I grow grew up when I was a child I'd have to go through TV guide when it would come in the mail every Wednesday or whatever Friday and circle any of the movies that looked interesting and if they were on in the middle of the night set an alarm and try and be able to watch it all the way through the DVR changed all of that to where you could actually watch television on demand and then um video, uh, you know, got better and better and better. Now you've got 4K Blu-rays, you've got movies on demand anywhere, you've got Hoopla, you've got uh, Canopy and all these places that are linked to libraries that you can watch the greatest films in history for free on your TV any moment of any day. And that was, it's easy if you've grown up with that to take it for granted and not realize how special and magical and fantastic it is. But it also lowers the value of something if you can get it at the flick of your remote. You know, it's something. Ah, it's the same as everything else. It's a great leveler, and it takes the value out of it. And that's 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 a sad thing, but it's a great thing to be able to have access to that.
1: Yeah. Um. Speaking of you personally, I know everybody has their babies, their favorite movies, or whatnot. What's your movie that holds a special place in your heart that you've directed.
0: Well, all of them take so much of your heart and soul, all of your time, even if it's a, you know, a TV show that uh, you're hired to do an episode of somebody else's TV show. So, you know, The Stand is certainly the most successful thing I've ever done. It's the, the biggest miniseries in history. Fifty million people a night watched it, and it went up each of the four nights. So that has a special place. But there are other things that were unsuccessful. You know, Riding the Bullet is probably the most personal thing I've ever done. Yeah. And it was the least successful. The reviews were mixed at best. Um, more bad than good. Nobody saw it. It only came out in three cities. And uh, when it finally came out on television, it was on USA, which cut the shit out of it. And it was already something that was kind of a mindfuck movie anyway, where it would jump back and forth in time from fantasies to reality and the like. And if you're suddenly cutting out chunks of it and putting in Pampers commercials in between, uh, it was quite a challenge. Yes. Yeah. So, so, but writing the bullet is the one that that is the one that it, it's most personal to me. It it reflects a lot of what went on and what went on in my life, and uh, you know, it's a Stephen King movie, but his short story was only thirty pages long, and so uh, the first third or a half of it is Stephen King, but it's through my filter. I set it in a different time period, um, and the last half or two-thirds is entirely new. So uh, that that really feels like my movie.
1: Okay. You know, there's some people that have regrets and some people that don't have regrets, so they say they don't believe in regrets. Um, do you personally have any regrets or you're content with everything that's been happening in your life?
0: Well, you know, there are certainly things. Uh, regrets are have to be fleeting. You can't live in regrets. Um, a lot of would I change things that I've done in certain things? Sure, yeah, but I'm someone who likes to look forward rather than look back Mm -hmm. Um, I've had some successes some things that are not as successful but I've been able to make a living as a storyteller in in film and television, in books and and, and in so many different media I was in a band for years that gave me a lot of joy Um, and you know, I I am incredibly fortunate. And so, as far as my professional life, I certainly have no regrets. Um, Things that I wish had been better or more successful or different, I I don't focus on that. You know, a lot of people will ask me, How would you have changed something that you've done uh, if you were doing it today? And I, I just can't think in those terms. I'd rather swim forward than fall back over the waterfall, you know.
1: No, I totally get it. Because, you know, there's a lot of people saying, oh, I wish I could have done that. I wish I could have done that. But that's a, also a good way. Once it's done, it's done. You can't really turn back the hands of time. So you just proceed forward. Um,
0: yeah, as Stephen King says, fun is fun and done is done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's a good quote. <laughs> um, Mick, um, now... With everything now the way the world is affected, with supposedly AMC theaters going bankrupt and all the stuff that's happening, it's sort of like this pandemic pretty much changed the culture of movie watching for the world because no one can really watch movies and now everything is streaming. Um, Do you think we will get back to the way it was with people going to a theater and watching a movie?
0: People need that shared experience, and as much as I love watching, you know, I have surround sound and an 86-inch TV in in my home. Nice. I love that, but it will never replace the 60-foot movie screen and the shared experience, especially AMC with their recliners, and, and, (laughs) you know, it's a really great way to see movies, and and, uh, I don't think... It can be replaced i think we'll come back i think maybe there will be more care in in how people gather but um you know i i really hope we don't lose that people are going to want to go to concerts they're going to want to go to events they're going to want to go to clubs and dancing and sharing entertainment experiences because there's nothing like being wrapped up in it and as good as home video is it can't really replace the theatrical experience
1: yeah um as a horror genre person as yourself um do you see now with the way the culture is and everything now with the technology we have now that uh that a a horror series you know like to me one of the most underrated series was werewolf on fox and i just thought it was so underrated it was so good do you think we could go to, we could get to that genre as a series like for television or a streaming service like with a horror genre oh,
0: we do it you know werewolf was great but TV wasn't ready for it then. Yeah. There's There's more good horror television now than there are good horror movies, it seems. Yeah. You know, look at how many years The Walking Dead has been on. Look at yeah. Penny Dreadful. Look at, you know, th- th- there have been so many. We were able to do Masters of Horror for two years. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's great horror going on, and uh, it's, it's television – realizes the value of that i mean american horror story there's just lots and lots of horror on television it's it's a real renaissance era for terror television and and uh, i'm excited by that because and everything started to shift when they had to start relaxing censorship in the pay tv days starting with tales from the crypt on hbo um horror was kind of taboo on network tv because you had advertisers you had censorship you had standards and practices but once people were paying for it they weren't going to pay for anything that had to be censored and they weren't going to pay for anything that had commercials in it and so hbo and then showtime and then cinemax and movie channel and and uh, epics and stars all of those people were making original programming where they had the same sensibility of making movies But even more flexible than theatrical films because to market a theatrical film costs millions and millions and millions of dollars. Even if you're doing Saw, the movie might have cost eight hundred thousand dollars, but it costs ten million at least to market it. So television, particularly Netflix, doesn't have a marketing budget like that. They throw it out there and hope the audience finds it and other than a few special ones like ozark or things that are the jewels in their crown they receive virtually no no advertising budget but people find them and embrace them and it's okay they make so much money being so global that um, they're able to try things that even theatrical movies could
1: not yeah mick do you have any upcoming projects that's approaching well, <laughs> several in
0: several different ways. We are actually in discussions for Nightmare Cinema 2. Wow. Um, that's, that's moving forward. I've just written a two-hour pilot and a series outline that we're out to producers and networks now with, and we'll see if that happens. My old band, it was a prog rock band uh, that had a sense of humor that I was in starting when I was uh, in my late teens. We were together seven or eight years We took a bunch of our old recordings, our best recordings, added uh, new vocals and instrumentation, and it turned out really great, and now we've got an album out. The band is called Horse Feathers. The album is Symphony for a Million Mice. It's on Apple Music. It's on Spotify. It's on Google Play. And go to um, horsefeathersmusic.com. You can order the CD if you like, and I'm really proud of it just put out an audiobook of my collection of short stories called A Life in the City, a Life in the Cinema, and the stories are read by um, Miguel Ferrer, Matt Frewer, Stephen Weber, and myself, and Joe Lansdale. Um, I have a new book coming out, a, another collection called The Evil Things We, These Evil Things We Do coming out from fangoria press next month at the end of may and uh so and the podcast of course postmortem yeah um so uh we're in our fourth season there so uh i'm keeping busy even if i can't leave the house
1: (laughs) (laughs) and on any upcoming guests on the postmortem that you can discuss
0: that we can talk about right now but um, Mm -hmm. it's always people I find interesting and often they're major names as you know like Stephen King or John Carpenter or Rob Zombie or Neil Gaiman and the like but often we have people who I just find to be really interesting either as authors or filmmakers or whatever and hopefully bring some attention to what they do. Um, You may not have heard of them. But each and every guest I've had on, I've learned something from, and I find really fascinating. So even if it's a name you don't know, check it out, because you might learn something really, really interesting.
1: And my final question for you, Mick, is what would the Mick of today tell the Mick of yesterday?
0: Um, Jesus, you're lucky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's it? Jesus, you're lucky? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, that and, you know... I, I there's nothing I would not have any wisdom to impart to young Mick other than to just stay naive. You know, the the idea that I never thought that I couldn't do something despite being a kid from a lower class family in the San Fernando Valley and, you know, not having anything, a broken home, uh, lots of struggles in childhood and never being the popular kid and finding my solace in writing and then getting an eight millimeter movie camera when I was a kid. None of those things made me think that I can't do this. And writing is something anybody can do that doesn't cost anybody anything. That was my entree into filmmaking. And just to be naive, go ahead, do your best, work your hardest get along with people make people want to work with you and and you know there's there's a happy life to be found there I never did it to make money uh, and yet I've been able to make a good living and and you know have a marriage that's been going for 38 years and uh, you know it's it's been a very very happy fortunate life with a lot of hard work put into it
1: one more last question, since you talk about 38 years of marriage and congratulations. Um, what's Thank the, you. You're welcome. What's the, what's in your opinion the key to a successful marriage?
0: Um, that you really like each other as well as you love each other. You do everything you can to support one another and, and be on each other's side, and uh, you know, know what's important and what's not, and not get caught up in the awful things. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's true. Mick, um, stay safe with the coronavirus. Hopefully um, if we do talk again next time, this won't be a pandemic. Everything will be back to normal. And best wishes to you, my friend.
0: And to you my friend. And uh, be safe, be healthy, and take care of that beautiful little girl. Oh, uh,
1: thank you so much. And I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks.